Take your Bible and turn with me, please, to, to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. Last week, if you were here, you know that we concluded chapter 10, and we considered the fact that those who believe in Christ belong to Christ forever. Meaning that, that not even death itself can keep them from the love of God. And here today in chapter 11, we find an amazing example of this. John chapter 11 details an event uh, that is likely very familiar to, to most of you. It's that occasion when Jesus Christ raised Lazarus from the dead. It's the last recorded miracle in the first half of the Gospel of John. For beginning with chapter 12, John's account is, uh, is less about Christ's public ministry and more about uh, His approach, His final approach to the cross. So in a very real way, chapter 11 is a turning point of sorts. In that the raising of, of Lazarus from the dead is a precursor that leads to the death and resurrection of Christ, which becomes the focus of John's Gospel from this point forward. Throughout this book, John shows Jesus doing the unexpected. He goes to Samaria and speaks with a Samaritan woman, unheard of for a Jewish rabbi in that day. He heals on the Sabbath. He debates and even calls out the religious authorities. And he does these unexpected things in, in ways that shatter people's preconceptions and reveal who He really is, the Son of God and the Savior of the world, so that we might believe, so that we might truly believe and find life in His name. Well, today's passage is no exception. Once again, we see Jesus doing the unexpected. But this time, those left scratching their heads are the ones closest to Christ. This time, Jesus acts in a way that confuses even His nearest, dearest, closest friends. And I find this strangely reassuring. It's comforting because there, there are times, aren't there? There are times when you're just confused by life. Even confused by God. When God's promise of abundant life doesn't seem to jive with life in a broken world. When you look around and wonder what God's up to and why and, and why things don't go as it seems they should, 
Let's face it, there are times when life is just painful and perplexing. So yes, I find this passage reassuring because it reminds us of who Christ is and what Christ does in working all things to our greatest good for His great glory. So let's read it together. We want to look today at uh, at verses 1 through 16. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the, the, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped His feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. And so the sisters sent to Him saying, Lord, He whom You love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, He said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when He heard that Lazarus was ill, He stayed two days longer in the place where He was. Then after this, He said to His disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to Him, Rabbi, the, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But it, if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of His death, but they thought He meant taking rest in sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to Him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with Him. Now as I thought about this passage this week, I kind of came to this conclusion. It's a working thesis. Perhaps we could summarize this passage with this thought. God's goodness and glory, God's goodness and glory is evidenced not apart from our trials, but in the midst of trial. God's goodness and glory is evidenced not apart from our trials, but in the midst of trials. So, as suggested by the sermon title today, I want to consider it in three parts. Despair, delay, and then the deep love of Christ. The first few verses set the stage, and here we learn the place where this occurred. 
the people directly involved, and then the predicament they were facing. The place was Bethany. It was a village located on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives, just a couple of miles southeast of Jerusalem. The people, the people at first are Lazarus and his sisters, Martha and Mary, and John adds that it was this Mary who anointed the Lord and wiped His feet with her hair, which indeed we will see in chapter 12. And the predicament here is that Lazarus is sick. In fact, very sick. Now Jesus shared a special relationship with this family. Mary, we know, Mary loved to listen to the Lord's teachings. Martha loved to serve. And Lazarus was also very, very close to Christ. And obviously, he became a very effective witness to Christ's power over death. In fact, when we get into chapter 12, we'll see that that the Jews not only want to kill Jesus, they want to kill Lazarus because so many people are coming to believe in Christ through Lazarus' witness. These three siblings were very dear to Jesus. We know from the other Gospels that Jesus enjoyed being in their home and they enjoyed having Him. It was a place where He could get away for some, uh, for some quieter times with close friends. A place, it seems, uh, where He could just be Himself. Where He could just relax. But on this occasion, Jesus is in another place, likely still ministering in the region beyond the Jordan, as mentioned at the end of chapter 10. And on this occasion, the home in Bethany is not a quiet, relaxing place, but a place of great distress. Lazarus is dying, and his sisters are despairing. So they send word to Jesus, Lord... Lord, he whom you love is ill. They bring their need to Christ. They don't ask for anything specific, notice. But implicit in their message is their dependence upon Christ. And the intimacy of their relationship with Christ I think that they don't mention Lazarus by name shows just how dear he was to Jesus. Jesus Jesus would know exactly who they meant. And that they don't make a specific request of Jesus shows just how confident they are in His care. He would know exactly what to do. And more than that, He could do exactly what's needed. And so they bring the matter to Jesus. And I think it's a beautiful illustration of prayer. Isn't that what happens in prayer? We go to Jesus, we present our need. Lord, the One whom You love is ill. And this illness, of course, comes in many shapes and sizes. The various trials of life. And in presenting our need to Christ, we believe in His power. It's implied. We believe in His power to meet the need and we trust in His love to do so. And often, 
especially in our times of despair, probably much like Mary and Martha in theirs, we assume he'll act quickly. After all, we know Jesus. We know he's compassionate. We know he's loving. We know he's able. So, of course, he'll come to our aid. And soon. To think otherwise is just too unnerving. Then we come to verses 5 and 6. Where it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, or therefore, or because of this, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place he was. Imagine with me for a moment. Imagine being the messenger. You've been tasked by the sisters to go and find Jesus and deliver this urgent news. And so you go and you find Him and having delivered the message, you're standing there before Him and He doesn't seem to be responding. Um, Lord, did you hear what I said? Lazarus is dying. He needs you. His sisters need you. Imagine being Lazarus back home in Bethany, lying in bed. And you're just clinging to hope. You know, you know that, that this, whatever this is that you have, you know that it is slowly sapping your life. And your life is slowly ebbing. And you're thinking, if only Jesus were here, how I need the, the touch of Christ right now. Jesus, where are you? Or imagine being the sisters, Martha and Mary. And you're taking shifts between caring for your brother and keeping watch for Christ. Jesus, where are you? You wonder as hours pass by, then days. Why is it taking you so long? Why is it taking you so long? You've been there. Of course you have. Maybe even some of you are there this morning. I suspect we all have loved ones today who are desperately sick. And we despair. 
And again, this the, metaphorically, this sickness can refer to all kinds of affliction. And so we inquire on the Lord on their behalf. We bring the need to Christ. We call the church to pray so that others can bring the need to Christ. And yet, perhaps more than we care to admit, we sometimes see, don't we? We sometimes see regression instead of progression. It sometimes doesn't get better, but worse. Can we just be honest and, and just admit that, that there have been times when we wonder if Jesus is paying attention? If He really hears our prayers, and if He does, why does He seem so slow to respond? Why? When, when your health fails, when prayers for healing don't bring healing, when a parent inexplicably buries a child, when a child watches their parent slowly fade, when diseases and infirmities of many kinds threaten our well-being, or what about when we work and work and pray and pray and yet still lose the business? Or when ministry is so painstakingly hard and yet there seems there's so little to show for the effort? Or when a son or daughter goes astray and veers from the good path you've set before them. Or when the innocent suffer unjustly. Or when wickedness prevails. Or when Christians are persecuted and killed simply for their faith in God. We must be honest and admit to times when we wonder if Jesus is paying attention. At times... From our perspective, the surrounding circumstances seem to offer no other explanation. Lord, where are You? Lord, when will You show up? Lord, did You hear my prayer? Did You get my message? Lord, He whom You love is ill. She whom You love is ill. Frankly, from our vantage point, there are times when it's difficult to know why God does what He does or doesn't do what we think He should. Similar events abound in Scripture. Times when it, se when it seems that God inexplicably delays. Abraham waited almost 25 years before Isaac was born, before God made good on His promise. Joseph waited on God year after year as he was sold into slavery, then falsely accused, then languished in an Egyptian dungeon before God's promise came through. David was anointed king by Samuel then spent years on the run from King Saul, waiting, waiting, waiting upon the Lord. 
Even the nation of Israel testifies to the truth that God's timing is not like ours. They spend hundreds of years as slaves in Egypt, the, the people of Israel. Then they wander the, dil, the, the wilderness for decades more. And then having finally received the promised land, they're sent into exile before God allows them to return. And even then, they spend another 400 years under the reign of one empire after another waiting for Messiah to come. And one may even ask why it took so long for Christ to come. Why did God make? Why, 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 did, why, why, does God, why did God choose to wait thousands of years before sending the Savior? Why is it taking so long for Him to come again? One reason is because God's patient and gracious and allowing time for people to repent. But even so, aren't we sometimes left to wonder why God delays? Aren't we? I suspect Mary and Martha did. They're watching their brother in rapid decline. They know this is serious. They can tell. This isn't the common cold, so they reach out to Jesus because they know He cares and they know He can do something about them. Imagine that uh, uh, they, they know He can do something about it. Imagine them hoping and praying that Lazarus hangs on until Jesus arrives. Imagine them pacing the house, looking out the window every so often, throwing open the door on occasion in hopes of seeing Jesus come up the road. But Jesus doesn't show. Not as they had hoped. Lazarus doesn't hang on. And before long, they're not, they're not praying for recovery, but planning a funeral. They're crushed. They're at a total loss. Their expectations have gone unmet and they're disappointed with Christ. They're disappointed with Christ. We know this because when Jesus does arrive, both Martha and Mary say to Him, the first words out of their mouth are, Lord, if You'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. He could have left for Bethany right away. In fact, he didn't even need to go. He could have just given the word. As with the official son in chapter 4, he could have healed Lazarus from a distance, right? But he didn't. He waited. He waited two days more. Listen, he waited on purpose until Lazarus had died. seems so strange. Verses 5 and 6. Verse 5 tells us how deeply Jesus loved this family. We would have expected Him to drop everything and rush to be with them. Especially in this dark hour. 
Many of you know, you recall three years ago, both my parents, my three oldest daughters, were in a serious near-fatal car accident. It was one of those it was one of those time-stood-still moments when, when my entire world seemed to be crashing around me in a matter of a few seconds. And as soon as we got word, as soon as we learned what had happened and where they were taking, as soon as we hung up the phone, I mean, as soon as we hung up the phone, we dropped everything and we took off to be with them. Everything else became unimportant. Whatever else Sal and I had planned didn't matter. All that mattered was being with our loved ones as quickly as possible and doing whatever we could to help. Isn't that what love does? So wouldn't we expect verse 6 to say something like, so having heard that Lazarus was desperately sick and because he loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary, Jesus quickly gathered his things and took off for Bethany. That's not what it says. Instead, it says that Jesus stayed two days longer in the place where he was. In other words, here's the point. Jesus loved them so much, he delayed in going to them. Did you hear that? Jesus loved them so much, he delayed in going to them. The truth here is that Christ's delay was not a lack of love, but because He loved. It's counterintuitive, I know. It's not what we expect, but it's true. It was by His love that Jesus chose to wait. Listen, the love of Christ dug deep even in His delay. In fact, the word translated love in verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That word speaks to the fullest most complete love we know. It's the word agapeo, agape, which is the highest type of love, divine love. And it's not unfeeling love. Jesus is deeply moved, greatly troubled by their plight. He genuinely feels for them. Even as the story unfolds, we see this in verse 33 and again in verse 38 and And then in verse 35, we're told that Jesus wept. This isn't just a single tear dripping down His cheek. This is a weeping, a sobbing. Really what it's saying is that that as Jesus stood there in love for Lazarus and, and, and His sisters and for the whole situation, He was literally breaking up inside. And so we're not talking about some generic, abstract, impersonal love or just this idea of love. We're talking about the highest possible love imaginable. Because Jesus loved them so much, He delayed in going to them. So then, how does 
the delay of Christ and the resultant death of Lazarus point to the love of Christ? That's the question, right? How does the delay of Christ and the, how is the delay of Christ and the death of Lazarus an act of perfect love? And the answer, I think, is found in two places in this passage. First in verse 4, and again in verse 15. Both in the glory of God and in the increase of faith. Verse 4, in verse 4, Jesus says, this illness does not lead to death. That is, death will not have final say. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And what is true here of Lazarus's illness can certainly apply to the various trials of life we all face. Our natural and understandable response to trials is to avoid them or expel them as quickly and painlessly as possible. But that's not how God typically responds. Instead, God often uses these things, the trials of life, to bring His glory into clearer view, which in turn deepens our faith. Faith requires us to trust God, and to trust God is to glory in God. It's to acknowledge that God sees what we cannot see, that His ways are higher than ours, that He is working all things, not only for our ultimate good, but for the good of, of others also, that His timing is always on the mark. And when we present our need to God and trust Him to do what's best, we bring Him glory. Because it's in those moments when we truly believe. It's on those occasions, isn't it? When, when the rubber of faith meets the meets the real the road of real life it's then when the rubber of faith meets the road of real life it's then when we most trust in his infinite wisdom his perfect power his steadfast love it's then when we are most thankful as we're weaned from this lingering sense of entitlement it's then when our attention is most directed to the giver and not just the gift, to the healer, to the healer, not just the healing, to the Savior and not just the saving. In love, God sometimes waits so that He may receive maximum glory as we come to trust Him more and more. You see the increase of His glory and the increase to our faith go together. So on and on we go, beholding His glory while believing in His good purposes. And sometimes, hear this, 
It's not only about the increase of your faith, but about the faith of those around you. Let's look down at verses 14 and 15. Jesus tells his disciples, Lazarus has died. Now hear this. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. For your sake, he says, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. Well, they already believed, right? But he wanted them to believe more. They already had faith. but he wanted to deepen their faith. You see, it wasn't just about Mary or Martha or Lazarus. Yes, Jesus would come to strengthen their faith too, as we'll see as the, ch as the chapter unfolds, but Jesus delayed in going to them to deepen the faith of his disciples. And then, hear this, as well as the faith of all who would come to believe in him, after he gloriously raised Lazarus from the dead. And then think of all the people, ourselves included, who for the last 2,000 years have had their faith in Christ sustained and strengthened because Jesus delayed until Lazarus died. Our illnesses, our afflictions may not be about us at all. It, it, it may be about what God is doing in the lives of those around us. And so while we may ask and often do, why me? Perhaps the better question is, what is God doing in the people around me? Through me. like Thomas in verse 16. You get the sense that Thomas, like the others, really don't understand what Jesus is trying to, to teach them. Or why Jesus is doing what He's doing. They don't really agree. This is just a quick aside, but, but isn't this funny that here you have you have these followers of Christ who are praying for one thing, Jesus, come to Bethany. And you have followers of Christ who are praying for the exact opposite. Jesus, don't go to Bethany. They don't want to go back to Judea. They're aware of the animosity of the Jewish authorities toward Jesus. They know that if Jesus returns, He would 
almost assuredly from their perspective, he would die. And likely so would they. But here's the beauty of it. Thomas is all in. So so Thomas said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Even though he doesn't understand and and doesn't agree, I think, though though he knows that going with Jesus may cost him his life, Thomas goes anyway. He trusts the Lord and he rallies others to trust the Lord. That's faith. That's the kind of faith Jesus is after. So let that be an example to us, to you, when you don't understand why God sometimes does what He does or when your expectations of God aren't met. Let it be an opportunity to trust the Lord. And then two final thoughts in closing. First, our comfort lies not in our plans, but in God's plan for us. We are finite beings, unable to understand all that's going on in every given or in any given situation. We cannot possibly know each detail that surrounds the events of our lives and the lives of those around us. Only God is all-knowing. Only God is all-powerful. Only God can perfectly orchestrate the affairs of this world in such a way that it actually leads to our greatest good and His great glory. Only God loves us as fully and freely whether He remains across the Jordan ministering to others' needs or comes to Bethany to minister to ours. Our comfort lies not in our plans, but in God's plans for us. And then number two, take comfort. Take comfort to know that God does not delay forever. He may wait two days, two months, two years, or 2,000 years for the patient ripening of, of His plans, but eventually, at just the right time, He will fulfill each of His good and glorious purposes. Eventually, He did go to Bethany. He did tend to Mary and Martha. He did raise Lazarus from the dead. He would save many people through this miracle. And He would save them and us from sin and death because soon thereafter, He Himself would die and rise again. He Himself would suffer to the fullest on our behalf. And today, even now, even this morning, in your situation, even today, He enters our suffering by interceding for us faithfully, patiently, consistently, lovingly until the day He returns to save, 
to the uttermost. So, whether in despair or delay, let us trust in the deep, deep love of Christ. Amen. God, we acknowledge that you are here with us this morning. We thank you again for your for your word and and really, Lord, for teaching us from your word. Thank you for for your love, for love that is so deep and wide and, and high so real and and perfect in every way the, this kind of love that that does the unexpected thank you for reminding us of what sometimes can be a hard truth this morning that you are indeed a sovereign god a saving God, a loving God, sometimes a God that waits, a God who waits. And so I pray for any this morning who are in that place of waiting, would you encourage them? Indeed, would you deepen their faith? Would you remind them of your love? Minister to them dearly. We pray it through Christ our Lord.